We could spend lots of time discussing why 72 were called by the Lord and appointed at 72 others. This is not counting the 12 uh, apostles, the 12, uh, specifically the 12 that Jesus had named up to this point. This is 72 others who he sends, and, and uh, I think St. Luke is trying to make a connection between this and uh, Jesus sending the 72 and what happened in Moses' life as he was leading the people of Israel out. Uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, saw that he was getting tired and, and basically told him, you're killing yourself, appoint wise ones to assist you in your ministry. Let them take the lower things and you take the higher things. We get our whole court system almost, almost directly out of this uh, kind, of, uh, kind of system that, that we have uh, local courts and state courts and then district and then federal, uh, not only because there's different levels of law, but uh, you know, we have, handle at a lower level what can be and what needs to be a federal case is taken it to a federal uh, level. But when Moses appointed those, there's a little glitch uh, was it 70 that were appointed or 72? Because it says the Spirit came upon the 70, but there were two in the camp wandering, Mildab and Medab, uh, Eldab and Medab, and they, they were wandering, and, and uh, uh, Joshua comes and says, they're prophesying. Oh, I wish it all were prophesying. Moses allows it. So is it 70 or 72? Luke definitely takes a side and says 72 by, uh, again, this parallel. These are 72 that are given the message of Jesus. And notice the message is, very simply, the kingdom of God is at hand for you. They're told to travel and uh, to take nothing with them. They're to carry nothing. They're to greet no one along the way. It's my kind of mission, you know, where I don't have to talk to anyone, or, or not quite. But it's, that's how important the mission is. Do not waste your time and energy. Just simply go, go as quickly as you can, as lightly as you can, proclaim this message. If you, whatever town you go into, they welcome you, stay there. Eat what is put before you. Do not move from house to house. Again, don't worry about your own comfort. I have to wonder how it felt for them. Uh, I uh, like to joke, you know, I, I went to Buffalo yesterday and I took a lot more than, than nothing with me. And I knew I was going to be coming right back. I, we, we do that, don't we? But Jesus tells them, don't take anything with you. They're completely reliant on the, the goodness of others and the providence of God. Completely. And notice that Jesus tells them that he is sending them like lambs among wolves. That it's dangerous territory. But yet you get the sense that they weren't, weren't really afraid. They weren't scared. Maybe this is why Jesus sent them out in pairs. But I think even then, there's a better reason for the pairs. In Jewish law, it had, a fact had to be established by the witness of two. To send out two emissaries, two people to proclaim this message, it was a way of verifying that there's a truth here. The kingdom of God is at hand for them. But notice, too, what Jesus says, if a town does not welcome you, we don't have a clue of how many towns did not welcome. Last week, if you remember back, we had the Samaritan village that did not welcome them, and James and John, shall we call it on fire upon them. 
We don't hear this, and, and Jesus' response is very simply, you go to the outskirts of town, you take off your sandals, you shake the dust off your sandals, and not even this will we carry with us. They don't, they're instructed not to take it personally, not to carry that burden with them. But notice, too, what they're told to say, to remind them. The kingdom of God is at hand. The message does not change according to one's ability to tolerate it. And sometimes I think we forget this in this world. I I think sometimes we forget and and we think, well, if somebody is not open to the message of Jesus Christ, that means, well, they're going to be saved in some other way. And that's not true at all. The message is the same. They need Jesus Christ even if they've rejected him. They still need him. And there may be condemnation, but as long as they have life, there's hope. And I think that's the invitation that Jesus is giving them by uh, giving the, the emissaries he sends by giving them this particular message. Shake the dust off your feet and remind them it doesn't change the truth. The message is still there. We have a little break in today's gospel passage and and even, even though there's a, there's a few verses that are left out, it doesn't tell us those verses that are left out. Or, woe to you, Chorazim. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. Had these things happened in your midst, they would have repented long, or in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. But woe to you, you shall be cast down. And we have the, the 72 returning and they're rejoicing. It's a little awkward. Yeah, if, if it were a movie, it would say, some time passed. But Luke doesn't even give us that. They, they go and they come right back in the text, it seems. And they don't share about their hardships. They don't share about how God provided. They share about what they had witnessed. That even the demons are subject to them. They pro- probably... Uh, shared not only so, so often we think of the demonic as a demon possessed, but sometimes the evil spirits cause sickness and various other things. And maybe they shared about the healings they witnessed, how that message of the kingdom of God being close at hand for them converted people. And perhaps we, we might reflect this day on some of the witnesses of some of the things we've witnessed and seen. I've seen some tremendous things in my years. I, I share some with some caution. In particular, I think about a woman who had a very interesting story. She was from Ghana. Her father was actually a witch doctor. She uses that term. She came to the faith at a very early age. She prayed actively against her father. Her father got angry and disowned her. After a while, she met the love of her life, and they moved to the United States. And all the time, she was a deep woman of prayer. She was the one you went to if you needed something from God, because she could pray, and boy, was she a powerful prayer, prayer. There was a particular young man, 14, 15, that was going blind. This is just one story of several that we could tell. She prayed over him. The doctors had determined already that there was nothing that they could do. This particular degenerative uh, disease was incurable. There was nothing they could do. And he was told, basically, you're going to have to learn how to live 
as a blind man. You will be blind in a year. While the day before their next doctor appointment, she prayed over him and the doctors looked in and there's nothing wrong with your eyes. We can't find any sign of that degenerative disease. What happened? And they told him the story. Oh, that's a powerful story, isn't it? And there's so many more that we can hear the stories of the saints. Uh, I'm amazed in hearing the story of uh, uh, soon-to-be Saint Michael McGivney and and the the miracle that uh, he was interceded, uh, a couple who thought their child was going to be stillborn and prayed to him, and the child came through. Or Catherine Drexel, was uh, they interceded for him, a, a newborn who the nurse messed up the uh, solution that was supposed to go into his eyes, burned his eyes, burned his retinas to the point that they knew he was never going to be able to see and prayed to St. Catherine Drexel, and he was healed. All these miracles, all these things. But notice what Jesus says. Rejoice, but don't rejoice in them. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what we should rejoice in. These miracles, these great signs, these great things that we've seen, they're nothing. Because it means more to know that God the Father knows us. It's not what we do in the end. It's who we are and who we belong to that matters. And all the same, that message needs to go out. And here we are. We wouldn't be here unless we were ready believers. But we have to notice that not all of us, of course, are in the twelve. In fact, none of us are. Not all of us will be called apostles. But we are among the 72. We are among those that Jesus has called, and we do not go alone, even if we are physically alone. We have the church always with us. And we are called to proclaim the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand, that Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross to give us salvation. And so often we might think that witness is so dangerous and so hard and so difficult. We're not being asked to go without an extra tunic or extra pair of sandals or money bag or cars or walking sticks. But we are called to go. And I think in particular, for a number of reasons, I've been thinking about this person for a while. I remember in second grade, she was the sixth grade teacher. In the second grade, she sat right behind us when we were at school mass, and I could hear her sobbing during communion. I didn't know the full story, and I still don't know the full story, but for whatever reason, She was unable to receive the Eucharist, even though she was Catholic. And she sobbed because she loved the Lord so much. She sobbed. And I remember how beautiful that witness was, the witness of a heart that longed for her Eucharistic Lord but could not receive him again for whatever reason. And I also remember when I was about fourth or fifth grade, whatever situation it was, was healed and seeing her almost laugh out of sheer joy of receiving the Eucharist again. 
That's the kind of witness that this world needs. That's the kind of witness we all need. That she took the Eucharist so seriously. See, it's not difficult, is it? It's not hard. But she, as important as that was, and I, I, I did share that story with her a few years ago, and she died about two years after that. How important that was in my growth as a young man. That I could believe and have a deep love of the Eucharist because I saw her with her deep love. That witness, how important it was to me and I, I countless others. But that wasn't what was important to either of us. What was important is that we knew that the Lord knew us. Brothers and sisters, our names are written in heaven. Do we take joy in this? And do we do whatever it takes to tell others to help God the Father record their names too? He knows them. But record them as believers. Record them as followers. The message is simple. It's not always simple to proclaim, but it's simple. And the message is necessary. And as already said, it does not change on one's ability to tolerate it. Jesus Christ suffered and died for all. But that salvation that he offers has to be accepted and has to be lived. We're called this day to proclaim it. But again, whatever signs the Lord gives us to prove that it's true, whatever words, whatever witness we have, it's nothing compared to knowing at least our names are written in heaven.